Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Good morning, and you're listening to 3CR. This is Friends of the Earth Dirt Radio. My name's Phil, and we're broadcasting from Wurundjeri land, stolen land, sovereignty never ceded. Um, Today, we've got a very special guest in the studio, um, someone I'm proud to call um, one of my friends, and also an inspiring activist uh, named Kat Waskett. Um, Many of the listeners may be unfamiliar with some of Kat's work. They may not know her name personally, Um, Herself and uh, another activist named Hannah were the ones who, uh, back in February, dropped uh, banners off the bridge for the Let Them Stay campaign, and then also off the Melbourne um, Art Spire as well. So I'm really excited to welcome into the studio Kat Waskett. Thanks very much, Phil. Excellent. So can you tell us a little bit about the story? I mean, because that was a kind of uh, a real watershed moment um, for refugee campaign, and I thought in Australia where, uh, you know, like we hadn't really seen that kind of level of civil disobedience style actions being used uh, in campaigning. Can you tell us how you came about to do that, the Let Them Stay stuff? Yeah, so I'd been involved in activism for a few years and the campaign was really building. A lot of work had gone on behind the scenes for decades before that, but earlier this year it felt like a really crucial moment to have some direct action and really get the message out there. So um, a group of us, along with some others, yeah, um, decided to take action and do a banner drop uh, over the M3 to get the most publicity and to really send the message to the government um, that the people want better treatment for asylum seekers. Mm, and it really did get a lot of attention. Um, I remember um, hearing about it on the radio. It was in all the traffic reports. Um, Sunrise, I think, picked it up as well. It it really like uh, struck a chord with people as well, didn't it? Yeah, I think it did. We got a lot of messages about that one. I've done actions before, but the media for, yeah, the bridge banner drop, but then the Art Centre Spire was really different to anything else I'd been involved in. So I think being in the middle of the city, the Art Centre Spire had a lot of impact as well. And it looked, um, for me, I'm somewhat scared of heights, but uh, it looked quite terrifying. How high is the spire and how high did you guys get up? Do you know? Yeah, the Art Centre Spire is 162 metres. Um, we were hanging out at about 100 metres, so there was a very good view of the city. <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully it wasn't in the middle of winter, so it wouldn't have been too cold. <laughs> no, it was a little bit breezy, but not too cold. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So um, that sort of activism um, is like a highly skilled. How did you first get involved um, in activism? What sort of campaigns inspired you? Um So originally about five or six years ago, I was volunteering for an environmental charity doing fundraising in Melbourne. Um, and I heard about the Kimberley campaign over in James Price Point in Western Australia. Um, there were plans to build a giant gas hub in the middle of the pristine Kimberley wilderness. Mm. So I went over, I was supposed to be going for a two-week holiday, but ended up staying for about four and a half months and, yeah, really got involved in the community there and lived at the blockade for that four or five months and then, yeah, went back the next year and it all kind of went from there. And what sort of skills did you pick up um, out at Wilmadun? Um 
I picked up a lot of different skills about living in a community and respecting the land. Um, the traditional owners were very central to that campaign. So I also learned a lot of community campaigning from people in town. But, yeah, my favourite was definitely the climbing. So <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might say that. So um, that is a particular um, skill. I mean, I can say that I'm a fairly novice climber, but <laughs> I can go up, not to come down so easily. But <laughs> how did you first learn to climb? Um, there were lots of workshops and skill shares out at Warmadown and many more experienced activists were running, yeah, running skill shares. So I had a go at that and then bought some of my own climbing gear and basically just practiced that whenever I could. Sure. And was there a lot of intensive training? I mean, it's, it's something that you don't want to just, uh, dive into and, uh, you know, watch a YouTube clip and get up there. Yeah, absolutely. Safety was really important and we were always supervised up there. I then went to more Skillshares and workshops, um, largely on the south coast of New South Wales, involved in the forest blockading there. Um, so there's definitely a lot of different sort of protocols and rules that people within the movement follow, like climbing with a friend and checking all your gear. Um, obviously, that's very important for the mm. safety aspect. You mentioned um, that uh, some of the, uh, the 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 work you were doing with a with a charity you didn't name it, but that's all right. Um, <laughs> it wasn't faux. <laughs> but uh, you mentioned that that um, that higher kind of led you into activism. Can you tell me um, uh, any of the skills that maybe you've learned within activism? Has that translated out into the real world for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, the interactions and just living at a blockade gives you a lot of life experience, but. Um, learning to climb and particularly climbing trees has led me into a career as an arborist or a tree surgeon. Um, so I just finished my qualification as an arborist in July this year and I've been working in the industry for about two and a half years and that was really just to sustain my activism, um, to have a different, more independent form of income and be, be a lot more flexible. It also means I get to practice my climbing a lot, so... Yeah. And and what do your workmates think about uh, the 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 kind of exciting actions that you do? <laughs> well, the first action that we did in February was about a hundred meters from my TAFE, where I was doing my training at the time. So there was a lot of attention on that one. Um, people seem to either be really for it or really against it, but I haven't come up against a lot of negativity with people I work with. I'm pretty lucky, I think. Um, a few arborists out there are greenies as well, so that intersects nicely. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, um, with the ooh, excuse me, with the climbing, uh, what 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 sort of um, risks are involved in doing that? Like, you know, like a lot of people see it as quite unsafe, but mm-hmm. um, I know uh, I've seen um, articles where people describe, uh, like, from the Minerals Council, uh, people hanging from uh, trees as dangerous stunts and things like that. Can you talk mm-hmm. me through some of the the safety protocols that are involved in climbing? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very different whether you're talking about tree climbing or building climbing. So city and country actions often have very different skills involved, although they can translate across. Um, I think one of the most important things that I was always taught when doing actions and climbing actions is if it's not if you can't do it safely, then you don't do it at all. And that's that's really the most important thing. It's more important than getting the message out. I think a lot of the climbing actions, the main point is that you're putting your body at risk, but to minimise that risk as much, as much as possible means that you're um, very rarely in, in real danger, I suppose. Um, like with the actions earlier this year, both myself and Hannah were fully qualified when we were doing that. So I think that also gave the art centre and the police a bit more confidence in what we were doing, wearing helmets and high-vis and had all the correct equipment and 
could go through the safety checks as well. So, mm. And then yeah, arguably a really important part of nonviolence as well is making sure that, that activists are, um, whilst in um, potentially risky situations that are, you know, where, wherever possible safety is, is the first kind of key step. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that was really instilled at all the blockades that I've lived at. Um, but first at Broome, it was important that, you know, people are there to take a stand and, and to put themselves at risk. But if there's ever any risk that's deemed, you know, too much, then that was, yeah, a, a different sort of action would be taken or more time to repair was better. Mm. Yeah. So just before, um, we might have like a little quick break, but uh, I wanted to ask you about um, the first time you got arrested. <laughs> um, it's always the interesting story. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> the first time I got arrested, I wasn't really doing anything that exciting. I, was, <laughs> I wasn't climbing. Um, I went out on a forest tour maybe five or six years ago to Talangi in the Central Highlands. Um, and there was about 30 of us that went out to a forest coop. There was someone up in a tree set, but... At that stage, I didn't really know what a tree sit was. Um, and they can, were, can you maybe quickly describe what a tree sit is? For yeah, absolutely. So familiar? a tree sit is um, a suspended platform that's often tied off to logging machinery that someone is living in for an extended period of time. It can be anywhere from a few hours to Miranda in Tasmania. did one for, I think, a year and a half. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was a person suspended in a tree platform. We were there to support them and we were halting logging by being in the coop. So we decided to stick around uh, and the police just took all day to slowly escort us down the mountain and charged us with being in a forestry area. So that was my first arrest. <laughs> <laughs> and your first climbing? Um, my first climbing arrest um, was a tree sit that I did in East Gippsland, working with Gecko up there. That's the Green Grow Environment um, Centre? Yes. Yep, proud yeah. foil affiliates. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went there on, uh, they have these gatherings and it was like skill shares and workshops and forest tours. Um, and they were logging an area that was habitat of the long-footed potteroo. So we did an action where I stayed in a tree for a few days and eventually um, came down and got arrested. Um but yeah, we stopped logging for the few days and it was a really interesting experience and it was just really good how everyone was really supportive before, during and after, I think. People often forget about, um, you know, the lead up to it or the ramifications afterwards, particularly if you have to go to court. So mm. the support was really important there. Yeah, cool. And I, I kind of think that's a really nice story um, the first time um, for the first arrest that it was a solidarity action, you know, mm, absolutely. Uh, with the person up the tree that you got on. So like, <laughs> I don't think it was boring at all. Um, <laughs> speaking of um, solidarity, we're just going to hear a little bit of a promo about the upcoming Close Pine Gap action. And then we'll be back to talk more with Kat. Which base provides key information for every US drone strike, played a crucial role in Iraq and Afghanistan wars, as well as providing targeting and surveillance information for the Israeli Defence Force. Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. War is terrorism. It's the Pine Gap Joint Defence Facility, located just 20 kilometres from Alice Springs on Aranda Country, and this year marks 50 years of its inglorious existence. Come and join the closed Pine Gap protest near the gates of the base from September 26 to 30th. For all the details, head to closepinegap.org. Getting quick to book your early bird bus ticket from Melbourne for just $200 return. That's closepinegap.org. 
See you then. Close Pine Gap is a 3CR supporter. Well, that all sounds really exciting. And yeah, just a week away, that exciting action out um, out in near uh, Alice Springs. <laughs> Have a little brain fart there. Um, we were having a little trouble not dancing to the bit of a, a bit of the combat wombat in that little promo. So <laughs> it was a good one. So uh, this is Phil. You're listening to 3CR. This is Friends of the Earth's Dirt Radio, and we're talking with uh, inspiring, um, amazing young activist Cat Waskett. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> so we were just talking about uh, kind of the about, about how you got involved in activism and especially around the um, the climbing actions, which cultivated, um, as we we're saying, with those really exciting "Let Them Stay" actions at the beginning of the year. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about um, your experiences out on the front line. Um, Kat and I lived together for. Whew, it was a long time, maybe like eight months. She's, she's got a f- that many fingers up. I think it was eight or nine. <laughs> eight or nine months. Hard to keep track of time. <laughs> um, out at the Laird Blockade, which was a uh, um, a protest camp up in northwest New South Wales, stopping Whitehaven Coles Moores Creek Mine in the Laird State Forest. Well, trying to stop it anyway. <laughs> but um, one of the things that um, I know that we both talked about, um, from my perspective as a as a as a as a queer guy. And um, from her perspective as a woman, is that there is a real hyper masculine culture around nonviolent direct action camps, and I think that historically goes back. Um, many of the listeners may have read about that sort of thing. But I wondered if um, we could just reflect a little bit, like you know, what was your first experience when you first got out to a, to a camp? Did you did you feel that there was a really strong masculine culture there? I think the first blockade camp that I spent any time at was in the Kimberley in Western Australia and there was a really solid core group of people um, that were involved in the campaign long before I got there. Mm. And being very new, it was um, apparent that respect was shown to those that that had been there a long time and knew what they were doing. And I think for a lot of those things, the campaigning or running of camp, it was fairly gender diverse. There wasn't really a breakdown, but... um, I think a lot of the people involved in the scouting or the actions or the climbing or the lock-ons tended to be men. I'm not sure whether that was because only men were interested in those roles. From what I saw, I don't think it was. But there was also a few really strong female role models that I took a lead from in in Broome and the same again at Laird as well. So while I think there is a bit of a culture of masculinity, it it also is up to women to sort of take part in those things that they want to. Um, The direct action stuff can be quite confronting and I think that women can bring a really unique perspective and sometimes more supportive perspective to things that are often quite high stress and high pressure. Mm, Definitely. And, and, you know, it's almost structural because, uh, as you were saying, the respect generally goes with people who've been there for a long time Mm. and for so long there's been that uh, more... uh, experience going on with uh with men and it's hard to smash but like you say there were really uh inspiring uh women leaders out at Laird and mm. I think you might have been one of them for me <laughs> Thanks, Phil. um so I was wondering like um can you tell me a little bit about um without getting yourself in any sort of trouble <laughs> about the things that you did out at Laird and um and what sort of uh ways that you were able to to intersect and really take a leadership role out there mm-hmm. I think Um, my scene has always been the climbing side of it and going out in the bush and scouting and learning more practical skills. Um, 
So, yeah, we ran a few workshops and stuff out there and I'd teach people climbing, just basic tree climbing or putting up tree sits or rigging up different structures. There's nothing basic about putting up a tree sit. (laughs) (laughs) Even the simplest knots are hard. (laughs) Yeah, running knot workshops and those sort of things. Um, Ran a couple of welding workshops and uh, did a lot of scouting and stuff, but I think... Yeah, the climbing side of it was really what I had a passion for. And, I mean, we yeah, we would teach a lot of people climbing and not even necessarily just to use it for an action the next day or something. Mm. I think the Laird was a really good opportunity to have a bit more time to work on those kind of different skills and work on different relationships and how that can work, yeah, mm. within the, the activism community. Mm. And I think that's a, that's a really good point. Like, you know, uh, there is often like, you know, like not enough skill building going on and sharing of skills. Mm. I mean, with, with some exceptions, of course. And when I think about some of the like fantastic leaders around um, that are women in the area, um, whether it be campaigning wise with uh, like George Woods from Lock the Gates mm. or um, Nicola Paris out uh, doing nonviolent um, action training or mm. um, Freya Harvey from Greenpeace. He's a phenomenal climber. Um, Comparable Absolutely. to you, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> One of my heroes. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of women out there, but still, um, you're right. I think like that um, there was a kind of a, a sense that um, men would be picked to uh, to go out and actually like do the things um, out on actions above women, and even in uh, in fields like photography and things like that. Like you know, there may be uh, just as skilled women there, but um, men would be uh, put into those more frontline roles. Mm. Do you think that's um, just a symptom from wider society or is it something that uh, we don't talk about enough in activism? I think it certainly is worth talking about. I think the lad was quite specific because being out in the country as well, I feel like there are a lot of more conservative views or traditional views among some of the locals, not all of them certainly, um, that, you know, men are out on the farm doing the hard work and the women are doing, you know, more traditional sort of nurturing roles. But... Sounds a bit like John Howard. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, But I think it really is changing. And I think the lad is a good example of how sometimes it can work and sometimes there are challenges that that we can overcome. And as long as that, you know, the issues that are raised aren't excluding people from participating, I think there can be really productive conversations that don't necessarily need to blame anyone for it. As you say, it can be maybe a result of the wider sort of society that we've grown up in hmm. and some of these things just take working at in order to get, you know, both men and women to understand the different opportunities out there. Mm. And for, I think, um, also men to step up into um, uh, those those roles that have been, like, traditionally filled by women. So, mm. you know, getting into the kitchen yep. and doing the, uh, the dishes and things like that. And, um, I mean, at Laird, one of the things I really liked was uh, the 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 attempt to try and shift the emphasis just from the person getting arrested for an action, but actually celebrate support roles. So, yeah, absolutely. you know, like, um, the, you know, someone starting the fire and, and cooking coffee mm. in the morning, cooking coffee, <laughs> <laughs> please don't cook your coffee. <laughs> um, that, that sort of stuff, you know, like was trying to be celebrated as well and seen as a, as a more, a group thing. So, so you, you know, mm. you don't have to actually like be on those frontline roles and still be as celebrated yeah. and just as valued as well. And I think at the Laird, one thing that, that helped with that because it was such a long sustained blockade with so many actions is that like most of the time, the person who's cooking dinner was the person getting arrested yesterday or, mm. you know, that person facilitating the meeting might be going out scouting later that night. And I think because there were so many different roles that needed to be filled and so many different, different types of people, a lot of those crossed over and 
yeah, I thought it was often a really great example of seeing, you know, both men and women in the kitchen or in the media tent or going out scouting or mm. teaching climbing. Mm, yeah, and it, with, all, with all the workshops going on, I think that really allowed people to step into those different roles. Mm. And so um, having that uh, that real culture, I think we used to, like, you know, joke and call it Lead Blockade University. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have you done all of the workshops yet? <laughs> um, but, you know, that sort of culture, you know, helps to smash down those those structural barriers that exist, like, mm. you know, because the, the opportunity may not have arrived and... You know, and I think it was a, mm. a definite case that it was it was different to other blockades that I've been to, where yep. you know there can be real strong um, masculine domination, and you know, and then mm. some quite disturbing situations arise sometimes. But yeah, um, it's good mm. stuff. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to notice how it sort of interacts with, like, within the lead blockade and the people that were on the front line. That's a you know a certain type of culture, but then obviously you're interacting with the wider community as well, mm. and then police and special forces and, you know, all kinds of authority figures that all often have very different views to those people sitting around the campfire. So, yeah, the way that people can support each other when they're faced with, you know, blatant sexism or racism or just discrimination of any sort from from authorities or from mine workers or just the general public, that's really important too. Mm, yeah, showing that solidarity. and Yeah, you know. absolutely. And it was it, it was a bit uh, like kind of like, you know, feeling like uh, you're going into a completely different value system. Like uh, mm. uh, so some listeners may be unfamiliar with the, the freedom rides of the 60s um, in Australia mm. um, where um, the people went to um, the pools, which was segregated. That was up on um, Gomorrah country where yeah. um, Philly the Laird was, um, Gomorrah country, sorry. And... And you know that was the area that we're going into. You know, like it's it's it has a different different vibe to Brunswick or mm, Fitzroy, and um, and people think a lot differently. But but it was good to go up there and um, really cha- see perspectives change and see people uh, exposed to different ways of thinking and um, and how that can mm. be amazingly transformational thing. And not just for um, for other people saying that we're all right as well, but I certainly learnt a lot uh, about farming and, and valuing the work that goes out on the land mm. out there and that kind of exchange of ideas. Mm. I think it's really interesting when people are kind of pushed together like that. And it was the same in Broome. It's the same at, I think, every blockade I've been to is that, you know, everyone's there for one reason. And so you get people that maybe don't share same values on everything, but they're all there for that one thing. And it really, yeah, it teaches you it teaches you a lot of lessons about, you know, how very different people can have one thing in common and, and manage to get along. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Talking about being vegetarian with the farmers and it's like a foreign <laughs> concept. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we're going to take a really quick break and then we'll come back for a second. And um, you're listening to Dirt Radio. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now.
Great. So we're back on the air with uh, Kat Waskett. Um, just a couple of minutes left. Um, I just wanted to ask uh, Kat about uh, any sort of like uh, words of advice for people, uh, especially young women um, or maybe uh, people transgender or, um, who like um, sit outside of the normal masculine or the, the dominant masculine culture. Um, what sort of advice you might have for um, young folks who are looking for that uh, way to get their foot in the door? Yeah, so I think I've spent a lot of time being in, in traditionally male-dominated <laughs> spaces, um, the blockading somewhat, but then also being an arborist. There was 27 people in my class and I was the only female that graduated. And I think often it's about recognising when it's time to take a stand and stand up for your rights and be very direct about what you want and when it's time to also just go out there and do what you want to do and not let that hold you back. There's a lot of issues that like come up for me every day, both in activism and in working as an arborist. And if you can, you know, just push on through and really try and educate people around you, but then notice that sometimes it's important to preserve your own sort of mental stability in not saying something too. So recognising that can be really important. But honestly, I would just say to give it a go and... You know, if you're passionate about something, then I think that is the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say to my uh, my masculine comrades that, uh, you know, sometimes it's good to step back and um, and allow women to step into um, to leadership roles as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, to chase a space where we all need to share and um, share our skills, especially like, you know, is the big takeaway really mm-hmm. from all this stuff. So um, I want to thank Kat for coming in today. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Phil. Um, And you've been listening to Friends of the Earth's Dirt Radio on 3CR.